Unfortunately for the career guys and gals, they're able to train just a little bit more and they're in the house. But I know that speaking as a volunteer myself, I know that we take our training, our medical training, absolutely as serious as we do if we're doing a forceful entry, as serious as we're deploying a hand line. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again for another edition of Code 3. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. The topic on this show is a little different. We're going to talk about pre-hospital care from the point of view of an EMS liaison. He sees the results of good treatment in the field. He also sees what happens when treatment is done poorly. And he's able to observe the differences between the care provided by career and volunteer firefighters. He can tell you what will result in the best patient outcome. Roger Dijak is a firefighter and an EMT for the Memphis, Michigan Volunteer Fire Department. He works at two Michigan hospitals as the EMS liaison. And Roger joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you for having me, and on behalf of the entire fire service, I wanted to thank you for your service to us. Thank you for the kind words. So, you see all kinds of diagnoses and treatments by firefighter paramedics. By and large, how accurate are they? You know, we are fortunate that in our communities that our fire medics are extremely talented and if i would have to say a percentage of diagnoses that are coming from the field and then we take care of in the hospital setting it's roughly 95 percent accuracy rate i mean there's always going to be some variances for traumas for things that are internal that the fire medics are not able to see but roughly 95 percent is what we're seeing as a successful diagnoses and which is absolutely an outstanding percentage and that leads to a much greater patient outcome once we get into them into the ER. Do you see a major difference in the skill level of various firefighter paramedics? Yes and no and I, I say this with a kind of a, a global application. Every fire medic comes in with an absolutely incredible level of skill. Some are really good at traumas, some are really good at myocardial infractions, some are good at strokes. As a baseline, they're all good, but as exceptions, some will be great at other things, and that just deals with their level of enthusiasm for a topic. Some people really love trauma, some people really love heart attacks, some people really love strokes. Not a lot of people love sepsis, not a lot of people (laughs) love those smaller sorts of issues that don't present all themselves. And when it comes to pediatrics, we see a great level of skill with fire medics across the board. And there's, I think that's a twofold reason. One, majority of us in the fire service are some level of parent. And then also two, and most importantly, we don't see a lot of pediatric cases. 
So when you do see a pediatric case, everybody from police on scene, if there are police on scene, to fire EMS on scene, to transport, to the hospital step, we all step a little faster and our concentration goes a little deeper because it is a pediatric case. And those sorts of cases, I can honestly say that I have never seen a fire medic not take those sorts of cases pediatric-wise without 100% skill and do absolutely every intervention possible in the field during transport and then on the, on the arrival to the hospital setting. We've had unfortunate cases where there's been cardiac arrests with pediatric and the fire medics will stay with us. Whatever hand they can lend us in the emergency room, they will stay, they will work. If it's something simple like taking off and cutting some clothing for an I.O., the fire medics at every pediatric case that I've ever been involved with are absolutely top tier. And that goes from a rural setting to an urban setting to an inner city setting. I can't say enough about the fire medics that I've had the fortunate to work with and now work for and their level of care. You see fire medics that are both volunteer and career coming through your emergency department. Do you see a difference in the skill levels? The volunteer side has an enormous amount of enthusiasm and skill and training involved. And then the career side has the same level of enthusiasm and work. I don't see a large percentage of difference between the fire side and the career versus the volunteer. Fortunately for the career guys and gals, they're able to train just a little bit more and they're in the house. So they have a higher degree of training in regards to repetition. But I know that speaking as a volunteer myself, I know that we take our training, our medical training, absolutely as serious as we do if we're doing a forcible entry, as serious as we're deploying a hand line. So the difference between the skill sets is more based on repetition than it is on skill or enthusiasm from what we see in the ER setting. Right, and that could be the difference there, the fact that career departments see this stuff every day and maybe a volunteer department doesn't see it quite as often. Yes, sir. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. In terms of volunteer departments, then, how much impact does longer response time have on the patients that you receive? Most of our volunteer settings are in a rural area, so the response time is roughly seven to eight minutes on the average from what we see because they have to get to the station, grab an apparatus, and then respond to the scene. And then once treatment is initiated and transport times can be 10, 15, 20 minutes, depending on the closest available appropriate facility, depending on if it's a trauma, if it's a trauma level three, if they're taking it to a trauma level two, and or myocardial infractions, you know, heart attacks, unconscious unresponse. The thing that I know that a lot of volunteer services across our country are doing is they're looking for grant funding. The volunteer department that I'm on Memphis here in Michigan, we have a very active chief and we're fortunate that we have a Lucas device which will provide CPR compressions, which is an absolute blessing in regards to us better helping our patients that are, you know, we need to perform CPR. So that frees us up some in our department, but I know there's a big nationwide push for the response times to be seven to eight minutes, roughly in volunteers, 
services so we can get the appropriate level of care and then transfer them to the appropriate facility for that subsequent hospital care. That Lucas device means that you have fewer people, but they don't become exhausted as rapidly from having to switch out, correct? Yes, sir. It is an automated device, and there's a few different models. We use the Lucas in our department because it's compatible with what Richmond Lennox utilizes, which is a ambulance service that provides ALS care in our coverage area. But speaking to the Lucas specifically, you can set it for compressions 30 to 2 and or nonstop compressions. So that does free up a rescue to provide IV access to bag the patient. So there's, it's a huge benefit. We actually here at Garden City Hospital purchased the Lucas because of the experience that I've had. And we've deployed it and used it in our ICU as well as our ER because that frees up a nurse or a tech to do other tasks on the patient. And we found that during COVID, the Lucas is a great device for CPR because it eliminates the risk of while doing compressions, any exhalation of fluid or air from the patient that the CPR is being performed on or the individual that the CPR is being performed on. You have kind of an interesting situation with your job. You're the EMS liaison for a couple of hospitals, but you also work in the field. How does one of those jobs help you do the other? I am fortunate that my hospital job sharpens my skills for the field. I work with, in both hospitals that I cover, I work with excellent techs, nurses, charge nurses, physicians from residents, Every case that comes in, I'm able to see how the pre-hospital care translates into a better patient outcome. And I'm, I'm fortunate in that regard that I'm able to translate that experience in my hospital job to the fire department that I'm working on because it just enhances every single aspect of my pre-hospital care when I am going out on a medical run because I have just more experience. And that experience from the pre-hospital setting when I'm working on the volunteer side, helps with a better patient outcome. I'm better able to diagnose things and be able to see things that if I just worked on the volunteer setting, I may not have a daily interaction with. And there are times, yesterday I did a bunch of IVs in people, and I generally don't do that. I'll start IVs, I'll, I'll run EKGs, I'll do those sorts of things when I'm working in the hospital, just because I want those skills to stay sharp. And also, honestly, I, I want myself to have that level of patient interaction because sometimes the EMS liaison position is an absolute phenomenal job, but I do miss that patient interaction because that's the thing I love the most are my patients. And I look at our hospital as an extension of the fire department, regardless if it's a career department or a volunteer department. The nurses and the techs are one with the fire medics. And I see that and that's my job is to bridge that gap between the fire EMS side and the hospital side because I look at myself as the coach and I have an offense and a defense and we got to work together to win the game. And winning that game is patient outcomes. And I want our patient outcomes to be absolutely the best. So seeing both sides of it from a fire side and then from an ER side puts me in a very good vantage point to let the patient outcomes I want the patient outcomes to be the absolute best possible. Everybody that comes into our ERs, regardless if it's a toe pain or if it's a level one trauma amputation, 
every single person that comes into an ER across America deserves the absolute best. And that is what I've seen across the board in, in all of America. And I can honestly say that I have never heard a disparaging word about our fire service in regards to the level of care. Sure, there's going to be some tasks that weren't done. If you've got a one-minute transport time, it's really hard to get an IV. But that being said, I speak with EMS liaisons across the country. I speak with EMS liaisons there in a rural setting in Connecticut. I speak with EMS liaisons that are in Dallas, Texas. I speak with EMS liaisons that are in Los Angeles at level one trauma centers. I speak with EMS liaisons that are university hospitals. And everybody across the board, across the country, has nothing but good things to say about the fire medics that are coming into our hospitals and taking care of our family members. Because as you well know as I do, that it may be you or I in back of that ambulance one day. I can speak from personal experience when my daughter was transported to a hospital. The medic that showed up on scene that day, that guy was a hero. And he's a personal friend of mine. He's one of my best friends. But that day, daddy wasn't a fireman. Daddy was a daddy. And the level of care that he provided for my daughter, who at that time was one years old, was absolutely outstanding. And I hear that across the country. And so I'm thankful for the relationship that we have with fire and EMS. So with that relationship in mind and given what you know from both sides of the coin, what is the one thing you wish firefighters knew about treating patients that you've learned? The one thing that I wish firefighters knew about treating patients is that when they hand that patient off and transfer it to the nurse, the physician, that that patient is going to get the absolute best care possible. And I think there's a disconnect in regards to that outcome when a fireman drops off a patient. A lot of times they, they don't know what happened because they're on the next run. And it's my job to educate all of our fire EMS personnel that when they transfer patient to us, that patient will have the absolute best definitive care possible. And that builds trust and that builds confidence. So if there was one thing that I would want every firefighter to know is that across the country, we are working in a hospital setting where that patient that they're bringing in is the absolute most important thing at that moment. And so I think that is the most important thing that fire EMS needs to know. So by and large, you've been very upbeat and positive about this whole situation. What concerns you about pre-hospital care, something that you wish were fixed or could be The one thing that concerns me about our fire service right now is I'm concerned about everybody's mental health. And with COVID and with the stress of the job and with the insecurities of budget cuts and funding in municipalities and state governments not having money because of tax base, the toll that it takes on firefighters is absolutely incredible. And I don't want to see any of my colleagues have any mental health issues. The door is always open in my eyes for discussion and dialogue. And it is a very, firefighters are naturally tough people. And that toughness is okay. And that toughness is good. And that toughness gets us through the bad calls. But when they're back at the fire station and when they're back sitting around the kitchen table, they're back jawing at each other in the apparatus bay, those sorts of interactions are important. The, the mental health aspect, 
I can't stress that enough how we need to communicate and we need to rely on each other because it is a brotherhood. It is a sisterhood and we've got to have each other's backs. And that's what concerns me. I don't want to see any of our firefighters come out of this pandemic with PTSD, which is very likely because you're transporting people that normally if you transported them, you would have a family member if it goes with your department's SOPs that could possibly ride along. And with COVID, people weren't able to transport with a family member. And those sorts of interactions, having a grandma die, having a brother die, a sister, a wife, a father, whomever die without family, that affects us as fire service personnel. And I don't want our mental health to be overlooked. Our physical health is something that we're all, you know, kind of hopefully taking serious, but the mental health is kind of a stigma that we don't approach in regards to our conversations, and we need to. We need to from a clinical setting, and we need to from a brotherhood-sisterhood setting. Have you seen any evidence of this sort of thing happening yet, or is it still on the horizon? You know, I am lucky that I get to talk to so many different departments. And in my interaction with those departments, I do see some signs of some stress, some mental health issues in regards to just the workload, just the sure unknown of COVID and the implications that that's having and the trickle-down effect. And talking to the crews, because when a crew comes in, I always try and talk with them in the ambulance. But just, hey, how's, how's it going? How's your day? What's up? Do you guys have any good fires lately? You know, stuff that people love hearing and talking about, kind of the, the fun stuff. But I can see it on the horizon, kind of we're at a tipping point right now where if we don't start really pushing the mental health aspect in six months to a year, we're going to have some serious issues with depression and other issues that we don't want to experience in the fire. So because it's already it's already an issue and we want to be able to curtail that and open dialogue is, I think, so imperative. All right. Hopefully we'll be able to do something about it before it becomes a problem. Yes, and I, I think your podcast is a good resource for people to get help, to get information, to get some experience, and listen to people that have experience that have dealt with this. Roger Dijak, thanks for joining me today on Code 3. Thank you, sir. It was an honor to speak to you. Stay safe. How would you assess your department's delivery of EMS? How would you assess your own? Those things are worth thinking about. Other people are. What do you think could be done better or differently? I'd like to hear from you. You can leave your comments on our website at code3podcast.com slash firemedic. There's links to more info there as well, so check it out. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr. And Code 3 then, is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.